The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Have you heard about the new Podcast One app? There is no other podcast app like this. Download the all-new Podcast One app now in the App Store or on Google Play. You can find out everything about your favorite shows and get more content from my show, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Find articles, social media, episodes, and even make playlists. It's easy to comment and connect with other show fans, too. We all have our little community on here. You can share your favorite content and see behind-the-scene photos, which is generally just me and my dog. Uh, But anyway, uh, plus get a 360 video or watch a bunch of shows in virtual reality. Reality. Plus, get a 360 video or watch a bunch of shows in virtual reality. There's over a thousand videos on there right now. It's like you're in the studio, which in my case would be a bedroom on the top floor. Right. Uh, Anyway, uh, the new Podcast One app looks so cool and has so many things you can do, including fun things like rewards for listening. Then again, listening to my show, it's its very own reward. I'm telling you, it's it's fantastic. Uh, So, what are you waiting for? Download the new Podcast One app in the App Store or on Google Play now. Podcast One presents Rock Talk Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers. All the stories. This is incredible. Now, Now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, on this show... Folks, uh, you wanted heavy. I've got heavy for you. First up, from Metallica, it is bassist Rob Trujillo. We talk about his son, Lou Reed, and all kinds of other great things. And, of course, if that wasn't enough, after the break, we come back with Charlie Banante of uh, Anthrax, talking about the uh, state of euphoria and persistence of time reissues and a whole bunch of other stuff. And no metal show would be complete without Venom, or Venom Inc. in this case. Tony Dolan talks about the new album, the upcoming tour, and all kinds of great stuff. But uh, before that, I have got from Fozzy, um, guitarist Rich Ward, the Duke of Metal, uh, talking about why, or how come, Metallica has been this sort of ubiquitous stadium act for the last uh, 30 years. So, uh, Rich, good day. Nice to have you here. Yeah, nice to speak with you as well, Mitch. I uh, I always look forward to these chats because uh, you're one of the smartest minds in all of music journalism, and uh, also we're friends, so it makes it uh, still purpose. We can talk rock, and we can also talk uh, and catch up. Yeah, so we can. We, yeah, and we're going to have to catch up now. We're not doing a a Fozzy Judas interview, but we're going to have to do that soon because that video. I mean, at last count, I think we're we're closing in on seven million views. I mean, it's it's completely gone insane. So congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you very much. I have at least twenty thousand of those views because uh, I'm uh, marking out as a fan of my own video, which is great. <laughs> right, and 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 mom has another fifteen, right? <laughs> yeah, mom. Mom's watched it once in disappointment, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always is. But. But, you know, you and I have both seen Metallica recently. I saw them in uh, Toronto at the old Sky Dome, which is now called the Rogers Centre, and in Montreal 
and, and we're not even going to mention the venues. <laughs> it was such a <laughs> oh. But uh, and where did you see them, by the way? Atlanta. I did. I saw them in Atlanta at the new Atlanta Braves uh, baseball park, and uh, this was the first concert uh, to have taken place in the brand new ballpark because it just. Uh, opened in April for this new baseball season. Wow. And uh, it was amazing. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jericho came into town for the show because uh, he uh, interviewed the event sevenfold guys. And, of course, his goal, uh, as is mine, is to see as many uh, great concerts before uh, we go home to our celestial <laughs> resting place. And uh, and because we're still big fans of music, uh, as as I was telling you right before we went on the air, I mean, he flew into town and we went to uh, see Boston and Joan Jett uh, last night. I uh, just this week I saw Steve Miller and um, and uh, Peter Frampton and I saw uh, Paul McCartney all within the same week. And I'm like you, wow! Uh, I got into this business because I love music, uh, not because. Uh, I wanted to be famous or to have a, uh, an expensive car, which I'm still waiting on both of those things. Uh, but uh, I got into it because I love guys like James Hetfield and I love guys like Peter Frampton. And, uh, and I, I wanted to play guitar because I was influenced by uh, the sound that these guys produced with their hands. It wasn't, and it wasn't limited like sports was, was more kind of dictated on genetics, right? I mean, I'm 5'9", yeah. and when I graduated from high school, I weighed 135 pounds, so I wasn't going to excel um, in professional athletics. And I came from a family of just kind of middle class, uh, go get your job done, put in a hard day's work, and uh, sales-oriented uh, kind of stuff, and entrepreneurship, and uh, although I like that, uh, you know, I, I was always uh, attracted to things that were uh, kind of individual achievements. So uh, learning to really improve myself and then as a guitar player, as I got better, I wanted to find other musicians that I could collaborate with and, and put a band together. So, yeah, so going to see Metallica now, uh, the first time I saw Metallica was in 1988. I went with my longtime drummer, Frank Fonsere, who was, Bill and Fozzie, who played with me in my old band, Stuck Mojo. We went to see them on the Injustice for All um, uh, tour. tour. Yeah, what a great As tour a, that was. Yeah, amazing. And one of the great stories was we got there at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we convinced a janitor at the arena to uh, open the door for us. We were knocking on the door, and he looked up at us. And he goes, uh, what? He was like, man, let us in, let us in. He's like, ain't nothing going on, man. They're just setting up. I said, yeah, let's, let's watch. So we sat from 9 a.m. until the show started, high up in the nosebleed, just watching them erect Lady Liberty and starting from the very basic platforms because we um, were fans. We, we, loved, we just love music and everything that goes be behind it. And to be able to, uh, you know, here, here it is, you know, several decades yeah. later, I'm still as big a fan as I ever have been of Metallica. Yeah, and by the way, I, I I like the fact that you're seeing Metallica and Peter Frampton and Joan Jett, because that's what I try to bring here at the show is, you know, I've had Don Felder, and then we're going to have Venom, and then we have Tommy Shaw, and, you know, it, I, I just love all music, and I love the, this, this avenue to get all these different interviews out there. I had the Romantics on recently, I mean, you know, that's, that's what it's all about, but uh, Metallica here, you know, they, they've been on the top for... 
30-some years, when you talk about that Injustice tour, you talk about the Black Album tour, it, it, it's stadium tour after stadium tour. They never got to the point, even after St. Anger and people complained, even after Lulu and people complained, they never got to be you know, the Summer Shed Band or the bar- Backyard Barbecue Band or this club act playing for a hunt. What is it, in your opinion, about Metallica that just... It, they they can sort of do no wrong. I mean, they you know fans say, well, yeah, they did wrong with Lulu, yet they still sold out stadiums all across Europe that 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 year. Um, what's so unique and special about them? Some of it probably comes down to the fact that um, they were one of the first people to to do what they're doing. They were one of the pioneers of their genre, and as we have seen throughout history, if you're a pioneer. Uh, the the world will uh, embrace you and reward you for being the inventor of electricity or you know or or you know whoever comes up with the with the idea of how to run a car without any petroleum and make it cheap and make it accessible and easy will be heralded for for hundreds of years and I think Metallica is rightfully rewarded um, for being someone who took some risks and did something different and fused their uh, influences into something unique that spoke to a large group of people. And I also think they just stayed relevant because I think there's something to be said for some of my favorite bands, uh, you know, like Def Leppard that I love. I, I mean, I, I, I still, I see Def Leppard every year when they come through because they still throw an amazing show. They and do. They're, they're great. They're great bands, but somewhere along the line, I think, uh, even though that they may not have um, uh, decided that this is what they wanted to do, they kind of became a legacy band. And I don't know, I don't know how you telegraph that to your audience. I don't know when Journey, uh, even though they make new records, and I actually really like the new Journey records. I, I think they're great albums, and I, I think Def Leppard's making good records, but. There's something that, uh, and it could be just the amount of new material you put in your set. Um, you know, Iron Maiden is, is, is very much like Metallica in that they um, are able to play a lot of uh, new material. I mean, you saw Metallica, uh, I think, yep. last night, right? Yeah, I saw and them twice. Said, yeah, so we, I mean, they're playing four or five, album, uh, four or five songs off the new album. Um, and are, those songs are really well received. I think they they treat themselves as if they're a current band. They're still uh, working, uh, you know, diligently to keep their relationships with the Mitch Lafons of the world uh, uh, open, so that they are, are not just doing uh, classic magazine uh, interviews. Uh, and I think it also some of these kind of bands who have have evolved into legacy acts who are still selling out sheds. I mean, Def Leppard's still doing twenty thousand people a night, which is nothing to be ashamed of. But I think there is a a mindset difference where when we go see Def Leppard, they play one new song and then we get the hits, and it's an amazing show. Metallica still feels like I'm going to see uh, a current band who. Uh, could be Avenged Sevenfold, or they could be Five Finger Death Punch, or they could be uh, Mastodon. They still seem like a relevant ba- band, and I I do think that really comes down to their mindset. Agreed. Um, and there's a a youthful 
kind of uh, exuberance. You know, Lars, yes, and it, Lars is still engaged, right? I mean, he's still involved with young bands, and he's it, it, he's self-proclaimed. Uh, Still a fan, and you got James discovering bands like Volbeat and taking them under his wing, and uh, and helping to break younger artists still, which is something that I think in the '80s and '90s we were seeing with a lot of our favorite groups. You know, and I'm going to tell you this is where I'm going to where I think Metallica has it right. It's the way they treat their fans, from um, you know how they treat Met Club members, how they when you go to a show, you're getting two and a half hours of music. There are no solos. There's no 10-minute drum solo where, where everybody just goes, oh, why am I here? Um, you know, they don't show up late. They, they just, they're just very passionate about their fan base. And I think for any band out there, especially bands starting, you know, put away the attitude. Treat your fans as the people they are, and they're going to stick with you. And, and a lot of bands, when they, I just get this impression that when bands get too big sometimes, they seem to forget the people, and that costs them in the long run. And Metallica has never forgotten the people, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's really their calling card is it's us and the fans and everybody else. I think, I think it's a great point. And I, and I think also, uh, while you were saying that, uh, you, you really connected in my mind that a lot of the greatest fans ever were bands that had uh, a group of guys who had distinct and yet uh, different personality types, uh, like Kiss. They were the characters in the band. And I think because James is this blue-collar, tough guy um, who comes across, uh, you know, he's a hunter, and he has, he has more in common with Ted Nugent in some ways than he would have uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Tom Morello. Um, you know, he, he, and then you've got Lars Ulrich, who comes across as this kind of, European influenced artist who uh, who has interest in the art community and he's painting and and then you've got Rob who is this beast of a player who came from a funk and jazz uh, background who just brings uh, and his his image uh, really uh, makes him a character on stage the same way that Cliff Burton was when he was wearing flannels and looked like he could have easily been in Leonard Skinner and then you've got Kirk Hammett who um, you know, he, he has his own thing with his, you know, uh, and his style is unique too. Like each one of these guys has a very identifiable, uh, fingerprint playing style. When you hear James's riffing and you hear Lars's drumming, these guys have a sound. And I think that could be a big part of it too, is that, uh, we are in an age where there's, uh, things can get a bit homogenized and things have start having a sameness and things have a sound. But when you hear a Metallica song on the radio, whether it was from, you know, Injustice for All or whether it just came out, it sounds like Metallica. And, uh, and I think that's an important thing. I, I can't say that uh, Love and Touch and Squeeze and by Journey sounds like a song that came out uh, by Journey today, that the band has evolved a bit, which all bands will do and should do. Uh, but the, the fingerprint of Metallica is so unique. It's like Ozzy's voice. The minute it happens, it's like, boom, there it is. And I think those four individual characters, um, uh, which identify to different people, right? I mean, there are going to be some people who identify more with, uh, you know, the the approach that Lars has to life and his the way he connects. And 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 in the and the reverse would be James. And I think that's interesting because, you know, like like Kiss. 
you're either a Gene guy or you're a Paul guy or you're an Ace guy or like people identify with their favorite players. And I think uh, like the Beatles and the Stones, you have this diversity of characters within Metallica that uh, really helps to make that a complete uh, project of, of lots of influences and makes the stronger whole. And you mentioned, you know, Kirk's playing and, and Lars's unique style. I, I find it hilarious, especially when you go on Facebook and on social media and you say, oh, Metallica should replace Lars with this drummer or that drummer. Or they say, Kirk can't do this and can't do that. And it's like, really? 30 years of touring stadiums and you're going to tell me that they can't play? Give me a break. Um, I will always take Kirk and Lars and Metallica because they are Metallica. They are the sound. And I would never replace them for anything. And, and you know, I always say... Imagine Eddie Van Halen playing in Kiss. Eddie is a great guitarist, but it just wouldn't work in Kiss. Same with Neil Peart of, of Rush. I mean, greatest drummer on earth, but you throw him in Kiss, and it's going to sound funky. So we leave Lars where he is, we leave Kirk, and uh, there you go. Uh, Rich, always a great <laughs> player, right? I mean, don't you find it funny when people say, oh, I see all the time they say, Dave Lombardo should be in Metallica, and you're like, Dave's awesome, but he j it just wouldn't work. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, and and we'll, we'll put a, we'll put a button on it by saying this: some people get too uh, close to uh, these things and don't realize that a band is about chemistry. And you start toying with the balance of the chemistry, and you start just as you said, you put Eddie Van Halen and Kiss. Oh, and let's while we're at it, let's go ahead and put. Um, you know, Jason Bonham and Kiss, because, I mean, yeah. it, it could be argued that he's better, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, I have been offered some pretty big gigs in the music industry, and I've actually had to convince them, you may like how I play guitar. I wouldn't be good for your band. It was the hardest conversation to have. But just to say, what I do is so different from what you do that I would not be a net plus to what who you are as a band. And I know you're having trouble seeing it because you see me excelling in my band because I work well with my guys. And I think Metallica, as as we just said, it's is Gary Holt a better lead player than, than Kirk? I don't know. What is better? <laughs> I just know that they have a track record of making amazing records that have connected with millions and millions of people and have kept them the biggest band on the planet. And for someone to say, uh, I think they would do better if we, uh, <laughs> you know, Marty yeah. Friedman in there. It's just... It's, it's just, ridiculous. It's I mean... Not, uh, it's not grounded in, in, in intelligent thought. No, I mean, you could certainly argue that Steve Vai is a better guitarist than C.C. DeVille. I, you know, but really, Steve Vai and Poison? That, that would just be a disaster. So uh, <laughs> I, I just love that stuff. And uh, what I also love is the new single by uh, Fozzie Judas. That song is kicking ass. I cannot wait for the full album, and I cannot wait for the band to uh, do right by Canadians and, and do some kind of Canadian date uh, tour. That would, be, uh, that would be nice, too. Um, always a pleasure, Rich. All mine, Mitch. I love you so much. Thank you so much for what you do for our community and what you do and giving me hours of, uh, and I'll butter your biscuit. I, I listen to your show. I'm a big fan and, uh, and cause I'm a music fan and you uh, tell the stories I want to hear. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. And that's, that's really what I try to do here. I just try to tell a compelling story. I mean, I, I know it's nice to get those clickbait headlines and stuff, but that's not what interests me. I'm try I try to, when I speak to an artist, 
get him to reveal something about their personality and something about them as a person, not just so much of, hey, this album, that album, and, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'm just glad people are listening and I'm glad people like it because that's, that's really what interests me is that sort of human element of the whole music thing. And, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, there we go. We're done. And, uh, by the way, since you're the Duke of Metal, at, at some point do I get bestowed a title too? Yeah, well, I think uh, <laughs> if we can, we can get Zach Wilde to step down from his uh, job as king and move me up into king spot, and uh, he could be like a uh, great lord, uh, great overlord of metal. And then you can move into the Duke spot. I mean, you know what? The Earl is not exactly a great name. And the Prince, I, I'm not sure. We're going to have to work on that. Yeah, and, and, and I do not want to be the Duchess of Metals. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. And It's, it's a sweet title, but I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want it. Yeah, I wouldn't want it, no. And uh, with that, I will be back right after this with Robert Trujillo of Metallica. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and a big thank you to Rich Ward, the Duke of Metal from the band Fozzy, for that great discussion about Metallica. And now, here is, from Metallica, bassist Robert Trujillo. Really don't need to give you all kinds of talk-up, because I think we know the band. We know what they're about. So um, I got to interview them backstage, or I got to interview Rob backstage in Montreal before their uh, show at the Parc Jean Drapeau. Um, 45,000 people showed up. Insane, insane crowd. Just fabulous. Metallica still firing on full cylinders. So, uh, you know, enough of me. Here is, from Metallica, isn't that, doesn't that sound great, by the way? Well, I'm just going to have to do that again. Here is, from Metallica, the one, the only, Robert Trujillo. We are speaking with Robert Trujillo backstage here in Montreal. Uh, Robert, pleasure to have you in our town. Thank you for having me. Now, let's let's get started. Before we get into Metallica, mm-hmm. I'm a family guy, so let's talk family. Your son, Ty. Yes. Playing with Korn. Yes. Uh, buddy of mine, Ray Luzier, is in that band. Mm-hmm. They love having your son. Tell me what it is for you as in a musician to see him play, but also as a dad to see your son, you know, starting off and succeeding. Well, it's incredible, you know. The thing about it is uh, he is a very humble kid, and he's 12, but he's also, um, you know, still with the successes of uh, what he can do as a bass player and being able to tour with Korn down in South America, which was a dream come true um, for both of us. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that... Um, you know, I could, as a father, just be so fortunate to have a, a, a son who can be focused and um, super passionate about music. Um, and that was probably one of the, the, the coolest things ever. The other thing to take from all this is that in this day and age, I believe it's very important for the youth to um, hopefully take on an instrument pick up the bass, pick up a guitar, you know, drums, whatever, and bring music to the stage, you know, and recording and write and be creative. Because in this day and age, you almost feel sometimes that live music sometimes feels like it might be leaving us a little bit, you know, uh, rock music especially. So I sort of feel like almost he's like waving the banner for live music, 
for the youth. And I know he inspired a lot of young people to pick up, you know, the bass. And, and he's a great player no matter what. I mean, I could sit here and tell you how he could play in any band in the world at 12 years old. It's true, even as a, as a, as a pick player, too. Um, but one of the things I noticed two years ago is uh, I was working on a... For a long time, I was working on um, a bunch of Jaco Pastorius music, and I had worked up a solo called Punk Jazz, and he wanted to learn it. And I taught him most of it. And then one, one day I heard him playing it on fretless, like in his room, and that blew me away. I mean, it's one thing, you know, he was playing it on the fretted, and then all of a sudden he's playing it on a, standing up on a fretless. And I said, okay. Right there and then, I realized that he can do anything with the instrument. And, and one thing that I have to say is he played, he learned all the songs on his own. He researched the live arrangements. And, um, you know, obviously he had to audition to, to, you know, to get the gig. But I also have to say, Korn, I've known them for a long time. And um, those guys are really, really cool. They have trust and they believe. And because, you know, a band like that's not just going to take anybody on the road with them. They have to know that it's a good person right. and, and they have to know that that person can handle their music. And the fact that Ty, um, you know, he adjusted his technique to play five string and, and to slap and all these things that uh, he he embraced for the gig so i always tell him you know that's your first real job right. at, you know in life your your first employment really was playing bass for corn that is pretty cool <laughs> yeah considering that mine was to work for the city that's, that's yeah i mean good. you know i was making sandwiches uh you know when i was 15 not even his <laughs> age i was cutting onions and vegetables for a sandwich shop so you know he's doing all right and um and again, you know, both of my kids, uh, I'm very fortunate. I have a daughter who's 10, who's an amazing artist. And my wife, Chloe, and I, you know, we're just creative, crazy people. And it's rubbing off on our kids. As long as they're smiling, your kids, you know, embrace that because it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Jacko, just uh, past uh -huh. mm -hmm. You invested a lot of time in that project. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about bringing that story because, you know, you're in Metallica. You could have done a movie on of Burton, you could have done something about Jason, you could have done... Why Jacko? And well, no, I, I couldn't have done a movie on Cliff Burton or Jason. Well, maybe not. Jacko was uh, somebody that I saw play four times when I, was, uh, when I was younger, and he was really the biggest inspiration for me as a, um, as a musician, not just a bass player, but as a musician. I mean, my old band, The Infectious Grooves, mm -hmm was completely that music is music that i wrote and it was inspired by jocko um the style and the technique now granted at the time i wasn't learning jocko pastorius songs um so much but i was pulling from his technique and his skill set and his feel as best as i could and i was turning that around and turning in in, in mixing it with punk in uh in metal and uh you know ska and all that kind of stuff so he was you know one of my biggest inspirations just like black sabbath was to me and um so this connection is really deep rooted with him and the other reason why i say that i could have made it about the other guys is because i've known the family 
um, for many, many years. And the opportunity came to be involved in the project. And, and you know, I accepted because I realized that at a certain point they were never going to make this film unless someone, you know, that could make it be a reality right. got involved. And that was me. You right, know, you have Mark between the financing, you know, the, not the financing, but but me putting up the money and the time. And then at a certain point, I basically fully inherited it and it became my baby. And I was so deep that I had to see it through. You know, I was so deep entrenched in it. And one thing I got to say is I'm so proud of that project. But literally for six years, every single day of my life, I was immersed in it. And I'm talking about waking up at two three five in the morning you know you kind of possess the spirit of that individual and then you also you know you're you're uh basically um unifying and connecting with the family the friends the bandmates and all these people that surround that individual so you're taking on a lot and um it was just really a lot of work so I'm happy that it came out, that it's come out. I'm happy that it's doing well, and I'm. But you're very, happy it's done. <laughs> and I, I'm happy it's done, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also, you know, I, I'm pleased because I know that the passion f between myself and my director of photography and my director and everyone involved to make that thing come to life after running out of money and having to do a pledge campaign, that it happens and it's being accepted. And it's also being accepted without a promotional budget. It's actually being accepted because people are discovering the movie and they actually embrace it because they, they love it, yeah. Now, and it's a great story, and it doesn't matter if you like jazz or you like Jocko's music, it's just a great story and right. a great film. Now, we have only 10 minutes today, so yeah. I, I just want to get on to this yeah, uh, no next problem. one. Uh, you had a chance to work with Lou Reed. Yes. and. You know, he, he was this avant-garde, you know, sort of an iconic underground figure, uh, putting aside what the critics said, because, you know, yeah. whatever. What was it like working with him, and what did he bring? Because, I mean, he brought, like, 50 years of experience to the project. What's his, well, what was well, it like? Again, one of the beautiful things about being in Metallica and being a member is to be able to take on challenging projects that I feel and I believe make us a better band. And the Lou Reed album was definitely a project that set us off on a journey creatively love it or hate it you know it was definitely something that we we enjoyed and that we embraced and lou is you know lou is lou lou is a no holds bar artist top to bottom and uh he's got a lot of fire in him and uh you know it, it was an interesting journey um, sometimes it was amusing, sometimes it was difficult, but in, but in a good way, it wasn't, it wasn't like difficult in a bad way. You know, I just learned so much. I think us as a band learned a bit more about embracing, um, spontaneity and there was definitely some magic moments. There's some stuff that happened there in the studio that kind of, you know, just, you know, blew my mind, you know, where you're tracking and then all of a sudden you're, you're you know, there's an improvisational moment. Like James and I were cutting a, a song. Um, I think it was Junior Dad, and um, and it, it it was all on the fly. You know, basically on the spot. You know, um, press record, and 
it just kind of really lined up real well and there was this kind of beautiful energy to it whenever i it's a really hard, hard song to hear because <laughs> it, it 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 ends up making people cry all the time mm-hmm. i mean you know emo it's it's an emotional statement but lou's lou had been through a lot man um you know between his the way he how he grew up you know it, that that song is about his father so he he really endured a lot and um and again a wonderful man um with a you know steel armor when it came to rock and roll and just really edgy and powerful so i always you know kind of take try to embrace what he had and bring that spirit to life through my music did he did he offer you any advice in the studio in terms of music musically saying hey play like this or play like that or not so much he was uh, one thing that i i love what he said and he said there are no mistakes right he said that um there are no mistakes and then another thing he said that was really cool because the album was uh to a large contingent of metallica fans was negatively um uh, embraced so he had said um something if people can't if people don't have something nice to say they shouldn't say anything at all and i actually till this day i remember that and if i feel a certain way about someone's music or their art i really try to not say anything <laughs> you know I, I try to find the positives in in whatever's going yeah. on because you got to understand it's uh coming from the heart and it's like your, your your children, you know. You gotta be careful because art is really important to most people, and uh, and and you want to respect that as much as possible, you know. So, I live by that rule, and uh, and God bless uh, Lou, man. Rest in peace, Lou. <laughs> Rest in peace. And look, at, I could go on for hours yeah. and hours, but we only had ten minutes. So thank you for today. Yeah, and, well, much it's, it's great to be here. Um, you know, we've had an ama- amazing time here in Canada as a whole, and uh, tour's going really, really well. Um, the album's you know, selling like crazy. The album's doing well. You never know with a new release how it's going to be embraced. You know, between the fan base and the new fans, it's done quite well. Um, people are connecting, and, and I guess feeling that there's some relevance to what we're doing still after all these years but we're all healthy we're happy we're having a good time not a good time but a great time and uh, you know it's great to be back here in montreal thank you thank you Rob. you're listening to rock talk with mitch lafon rock talk mitch here are you in the market for a new car and want to see what others have paid well in order to feel comfortable that you are getting a fair price, you need pricing context. Information that empowers you to feel confident. With True Car, you will see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by True Car certified dealers for an actual vehicle on their lawn. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident 
when you show up. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. True Car users save an average of $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. Now, if you're hearing my voice, it means you like podcasting. And if you like podcasting, well, then you're going to love my show. Lots of funny segments, good bits, great guests, and of course, moi. That's Mexican for me. So check it out at Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you, you listen to find podcasts. The Adam Carolla Show. Throw it on your phone. It's free. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back to Rock Talk. And uh, before we get into the interviews with uh, Charlie Benante of Anthrax and Tony Dolan of Venom Inc., let me tell you about the um, Queen with Adam Lambert show that I recently saw at the Bell Center in Montreal. You can say whatever you want about American Idol in terms of whether they create real artists or fake artists or whether it's, it's, it's truly paying your dues or not paying your dues. But Adam Lambert came out of that show and got the gig with Queen. And people go, well, you know, he's not Freddie Mercury. There's only one Freddie Mercury. Well, you know, yeah, you're right. There is only one Freddie Mercury. And even during the show, Adam Lambert even says so. He says, well, hey. I'm no Freddie Mercury, I know that. But that aside, the band deliver an absolute wonderful show. And I mean show in every sense of the way. Lasers, smoke, songs, showmanship, musicianship, uh, pacing. You know, there are 22 songs performed during the set. There, there's a drum solo or drum battle, whatever they want to call it, and a, a guitar solo as well. Uh, that brings it up to 24 sort of musical pieces, but it is hit after hit after hit after hit. So if Adam Lambert and Queen roll into your town, you're just going to have to go. I mean, there's just no, no other two ways about it. If you are a rock fan and you like an extravaganza, a show, Queen is for you. That's it. That's all. Speaking of shows, I will also, uh, in August, be at the Oceaga Festival in Montreal. Now, I have worked the Oceaga Festival behind the scenes, but never in front of, or in terms of media. So this will be my first experience as media. Headlining is the band Muse, and this festival in Montreal is absolutely spectacular. In fact, any festival that is in Montreal is spectacular, because they put it out on... The um, they put out a place called Parc Jean Drapeau, and uh, the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, which is basically an island, uh, a part of uh, a part from Montreal, in the middle of the Saint Lawrence River, and there's really only one road in, and when you're backstage, all you see around you is river, 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 you know, river everywhere, and when you're in the audience, you are just surrounded by this water. And so it is just absolutely spectacular. Whether it is Oceaga 
or uh, Montreal 77, which is the new sort of punk festival this year with uh, Rancid and uh, Dropkick Murphys, or Heavy Montreal, which is taking a break in 2017, but will be back in 2018. Uh, this year, the uh, site is also hosting Guns N' Roses. Uh, there was Metallica in July, and so on and so forth. And it is just absolutely spectacular. So, you know, if you, if you ever have a chance, head over to uh, Oceaga in uh, Montreal. And I will be, uh, as I said, media this year. So I'll, in episodes coming up in August, I will talk about it and hopefully have some interviews for you from uh, some of the artists there. And so we'll see what happens there. Now, let us turn our attention to Charlie Benante of uh, Anthrax. Uh, he's going to talk about his relaunch of his uh, coffee brand, a sort of general anthrax news, but also he's going to give us some details on the persistence of time uh, remaster and bonus uh, edition that, that is coming out, and also state of euphoria. State of euphoria, I guess, will be out first, and then persistence will come out after. Now, uh, what's fun about those two is uh, there's a fellow... That's right, a fellow named Sean Franklin, who basically has all of, for, or, or as I understand it, all of Charlie's tapes from the vault uh, at his house. And he goes through it and he compiles everything and he turns it into these wonderful deluxe editions. And we've had other reissues in the past that uh, Sean has put together. He also works with uh, Public Enemy and so on. Uh, Sean also is uh, kind enough to, once I have put together an episode, I send it over to him, and as much as possible, he tweaks the levels to make sure everything sounds consistent and nice and all that for you. So he uh, remasters uh, my show. That's right, because I decide to deliver you the deluxe edition of every episode uh, remastered for your listening enjoyment. But speaking of listening enjoyment, let's get into these last uh, two interviews, and let's just get this over with. Well, not over with, but let's let, let's just get into this with uh, Charlie Benante of Anthrax, and then stick around for Tony Dolan of Venom Inc. Because, as Metallica said, you want heavy, I'll give you heavy. But it is not sad, but true. It's true that I'm going to give you heavy, but it's not sad. We we love heavy. So, uh, without further ado, the Blast Beat King. Can, can I say that? Has he ever been called the Blast Beat King before? Well, why not? I'm going to call him that. The Blast Beat King, hailing from New York, now living in Chicago, Illinois, the one, the only, drummer, yes, you know, you know what's coming next, that's right, drummer extraordinaire, that's right, the one, the only, Charlie Benante. We are speaking with Charlie Benante of the band Anthrax. Uh, good day, Charlie. Always a, a pleasure to speak with you. Hey, man. How are you? Good. Good. It's been it's been it's been a couple of years since we we've last spoken uh, far too long. So we are going to talk um, coffee. We're going to talk anthrax and all that wonderful stuff. But uh, right up front, you have joined forces with Dark Matter Coffee out of Chicago to sort of relaunch and 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 reset your your coffee, uh, the uh, Benante's blend coffee line. Talk to me about about that and and that interest and and why you're so passionate about uh, making a great coffee. This is something that I've been doing for uh, quite a few years now, and um, I've always been uh, really interested in in coffee. Um, 
I would travel and I would try and go to different places to have that perfect cup of coffee. I mean, talking going to South America, traveling all the way to uh, Peru, to Costa Rica, to, you know, uh, Hawaii, to try Kona coffee, you know. So it was always something that really interested me, Uh, just a really good cup of coffee. And then um, Dave Mustaine approached me, you know, God, it seems like so long ago to do something and he was going to do a coffee and I was going to do a coffee and we did it and we put it out. Um, but, but I think it was probably the wrong time for it and it didn't go very far. So we kind of just nixed the whole thing. And then, um, I was still interested in doing it. So I did it on my own independently. You know, I found a roaster and, did the packaging, did the actual blends and all that stuff and how it was roasted and just, just really got into the whole thing. And then I did that on my own and then met these great people from dark matter here in Chicago, went down to see them. We talked, we did a whole coffee tasting thing of the day and they said they were interested in, in doing my coffee. And that's exactly what we did. But also, on the list was exploring more more options so we um we just boom hit it off and we have some really things coming out and uh yeah i'm really happy speaking of, of the guys in megadeth david ellison has his coffee line and he has a brick and mortar store out in minnesota is that something that you might be interested in as well at some point having your own shop where people can come in and sit down for a cup of coffee or yeah you, okay yeah, I mean, you know, Dave um, Dave Ellison hit me up too about um, maybe having my coffee at his store, and we do do that. So my, you can get my coffee at his store too, which is really cool. You know, the thing about me and Dave Ellison is we, we've been friends for so long now, and when we get together, we usually like sometimes finish each other's sentences because I think we're on the same page a lot of the times. And um, when he told me he was going to, do a coffee thing. I was like, that's fucking awesome too. You know what I mean? So, um, I would love the day to have a really cool coffee shop, um, where people could come and maybe have a little bit of a stage and you could get up and, you know, do what you want on that stage while people are in there sipping coffee, doing their homework, uh, you know, um, being creative that type of coffee place you know what i mean yeah really do um with anthrax uh, on on certain occasions you have to miss shows because of the carpal tunnel and stuff is this part of the process of exploring new sort of business opportunities is there a point where you may no longer be the touring drummer just because of your health i mean i can i mean i could still play you know to the best of my abilities it's just when I get into the more two and a half, three weeks of a tour where my hand starts to get that fatigue and I just need to rest it. I mean, it's, you know, it's just part of the game. I've been doing this for so long and I abused my body for so long that, uh, you know, just like an athlete, your body just says, okay, that's all I can take right now. So, um, the band of course wants to keep going so you know it's hard for me to say don't do this don't do that when these guys you know are are just as 
passionate as I am. So, you know, we have to we have to do it this way. And you know, the fans and I, we all know that you also play guitar. Is there a point where you think you might just come out from behind the drums and be and another guitarist, you know, a third guitarist, or, you know, because, you know, that would be a kick for fans to see you do that as well. I, I, the thing about the guitar playing is, right. I, I think guitar players, um, in general, really enjoy that, <laughs> getting up in the front and doing it like that. I don't really enjoy that aspect of it, of being up in the front, um, I love playing guitar, but I play more guitar for myself, not for anyone else. So for me to get up there and play guitar, it takes a lot for me to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, once I'm up there, it's cool and everything, but I don't think I'm that type of performer. I'm more the drummer on stage and I'll dabble in the guitar on stage, but for more more or less, I enjoy behind the scenes creating and, you know, laying down guitar on records and stuff like that. You know, Anthrax, of course, is a thrash band. You, you, when you're, you know, 20, 25, 30, fantastic to play this kind of music. As you get older, sort of like a Nolan Ryan or, a, or a, you know, a baseball <laughs> player, uh, you know, is there a point where you might have to start changing the the music like you know for the next for the follow up to for all of kings might you want to take a softer approach to the drums just to more to better be able to play it on stage if that makes any sense it it, it makes sense it makes a lot of sense um my my problem is uh that my brain doesn't think that way um that's one of the issues because when i hear a song in my head um I have to play it the way I hear it. So, you know, there's not a, it's not like there's an angel on my left side and the devil on my right side. And the devil's like, yeah, fucking, you know, do it this way. And the angel's like, well, take it easy. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. It's just kind of the way I hear it is the way it has to be. Um, Cause nine times out of 10, I always hear the finished thing in my head. So I have to try to achieve that, you know? Um, but it is something that on stage playing at night after night after night, it does take its toll, but it also goes to that kind of muscle memory. You know what I mean? Where you get used to playing it, you get used to performing it and then it just becomes second nature. Right. Yeah. So, so, so let's look back at, at some of the great moments in Anthrax because this year, 2017 is the 30th anniversary of Among the Living, which you know, you can argue it all you want, but it is one of the seminal uh, thrash albums. You know, you're not a thrash fan unless that's in your collection kind of thing. Um, talk to me about that memory and also as a huge Kiss fan, working with Eddie Kramer. Um, what was that like, that first meeting with Eddie and, and just having him, you know, you go, wow, it's the guy who did Kiss Alive and he's on my album. What was that like for you? Well, you know... After after we did, you know, the first two albums, um, we were extremely happy with the way things were going, especially with the, uh, you know, the Spreading the Disease record. But I just felt that Spreading the Disease, the sound of that record in general wasn't really capturing the band at that point. 
there was only maybe one or two songs, and one of those songs was a song called AIR, which was a last-minute addition. And that, that song was pretty much the bridge to what would be Among the Living. So when it came time to decide where we're going to go and who we want, my first, you know, I wanted Eddie Kramer because uh, when I listened to the records that he did, um, whether it be Kiss Alive or even, I mean, it's a live album, but some of the Zeppelin stuff, he, he pretty much zones in on, he finds the soul, I think, of that band and, and really captures the band. And that's exactly what I felt was kind of missing. Um, so when we had our first meeting with him, I was very excited because this was the guy who was on, the name was on the back of so many of my rec- my favorite records. So um, things went really good. The only problem was the record that we wanted to make at the time and the record that he wanted to make at the time, we were on a different page. He wanted to make a record that was going to go into the 90s and we wanted to make a statement of where we were and the type of band that we were and the type of music that we were playing and how we wanted to sound. So once we got past all that, Eddie kind of understood and then pretty much gave us what we wanted. Right, and, and it, it turned out really great. Now, uh, what did you learn from him in the studio? Because, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's who's been there, who, who's done Jimi Hendrix, who's done Zeppelin. Uh, what kind of tricks or what did you take away from it and go, oh, okay, I see how this works? Well, the thing, the first thing that I noticed about him was the way he mic'd things. He he. He, you know, and again, you have to understand we are still new to this studio game. This was only our third record, so uh, you know, doing our first record was like uh, it's so hard to say. It's like your first day of school, and it's hard to notice everything that's in that one situation. So I didn't pay attention to everything um, because I was just kind of like, whoa what's this what's that you know by the second album started to take more of an interest in how the drums were being set up how the drums were being mic'd but eddie's approach to it was different than the first two records so i was questioning things but then i heard the result and then i was like ah, i get it you know this is why he mics it this way and this is why he mics it that way you know so these were just things that he has done through his career so it was interesting to, to, to see him go about things in, in, in that way, you know. And, of course, the best part for us was uh, Iron Maiden did peace of mind at a place called Compass Point in the Bahamas. We were on Island Records now, and the head of Island who owned it was this uh, Chris Blackwell who had the studio in Compass Point, which was that studio. And we went to mix down there, and it was it was pretty amazing, you know, to spend two weeks down there, you know, in the sun. Uh, U2 were just finishing last thing, last minute, you know, little details of the mix with Joshua Tree, and then we came in. So it was just it was just weird, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was so many crazy things were happening, and uh, you know, 
it was a great time. And 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 I'll finish on on the among the living question. You know, with this, do you look back at that and think you really nailed it, or do you look back at it and say, oh, we should have done this, we should have tweaked that? I mean, is it the album that you want it to be, or is it sort of like it's okay, it's near perfect? We're, we didn't, we're missing this or that. I mean, that's that's a difficult thing to say because. Um, if there's one thing I've learned is sometimes you're the most critical of, of everything that you're going to do, but then when it goes on to other ears and then they hear it, and then sometimes you have to listen to it through their ears as well, because you're just too close to it. But we, we did this European tour and this, uh, we did this whole among the living album and every night we played it and it was interesting to revisit some of those songs that we never play ever, ever. And, um, it was, it was fun. It was challenging, of course, because you have to learn how to perform these songs, you know? Uh, but for the most part, you know, the fans really enjoyed hearing these songs. And, um, I got to say that looking back on it now, I'm glad that we did it. And it's the record that basically gave us our career. Yeah. Well, it really did. It, it, and it's it's the one that when you look at sort of the the 10 best thrash albums of all time, it's always in there. I mean, it really is one of those sort of masterpieces of the of the time. Um speaking of that, the, the year after 88, you released State of Euphoria. We're coming up obviously on the 30th anniversary of that. I have heard that there might be a, a deluxe reissue or or a reissue of it. Is there anything in the in the works in terms of a special edition for State of Euphoria? Yeah, there there is. Okay, and I've been been working on that for over a year now, uh, just compiling different uh, versions, demos, uh, rehearsal tapes, some live stuff. Uh, I, I just want it to be a really cool um, release because, of course, you're going to have the album remastered and everything and then you'll have the the b-sides also on it too and then the other disc will have basically like the evolution of of the song from like demo to rehearsal to recording you know what i mean right to scratch track and all that stuff yeah yeah you'll hear how the song came to be the song um just it's it's just like it's it's just pretty interesting i i wish a lot of bands would, would do something like that just to show how the song evolved to be the song that it was. And of course, this was the record that um, in our whole catalog that we all felt a bit like it wasn't quite finished um, because we would, we were kind of rushed to, you know, back in those days, you, you, you did a record, you did the tour, and then you went back to do another record and you, had another tour. It was just such a a, a real like uh, whirlwind. Schedule. Yeah, and and of yeah. course, when you have the success of Among the Living, the record company wants you to punch out Among the Living too, and they're like, yeah, 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 we don't have time for this. Let's go. So so they rush it, and it's like, ugh. so so that the next album after the big success is always the one that seems a little bit, um, you know, undercooked. If if you if I can use that expression, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it feels, it, 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 and it's a classic case of the band just being rushed and really 
not letting not letting it kind of sit and breathe for a bit and live with it for a bit. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. And you, you, you know, uh, back in those days, you have to remember we were only a real band for about what, four years at that time. Yeah. Um, so we were learning everything in a hurry and, you know, experiencing things in a hurry and we didn't have the experience to uh, to say stop, you know, stop for a minute. Let's let's you know regroup here, you know. Right, and you might also not have had the power. I mean, the the record company would have, you say stop? The record company says, hey, no, <laughs> keep moving, my friends. Um, is yeah, the, yeah, you know. I mean, we, we we sort of all understand the the politics involved. Is you know you've done the Among the Living? Would would you? think of doing a state of euphoria tour and maybe even adjusting the songs and make them as full as you think they should be that's that's an interesting concept it would take it would take a lot to get everybody to be on the same page of that you know right um that would be a tough thing um i'm not saying it, it wouldn't happen but yeah, it would take some rehearsal. <laughs> it would take some some work. Yeah. Um, for yeah. all kings, the uh, the album that came out last year, uh, widely uh, revered by fans. They just think, "Wow, this band! You know, they 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 got it right." Um, where are we in terms of sort of the next new album? Because you know, for all kings, you could probably stretch it out another year or two before the fans go, "Okay, we've heard it enough. Let's let's go, boys." Um, where are we in terms of the next new anthrax? Uh, it's already it's already been started. Okay. Um, been I've been just doing demos for songs already, um, and uh, I will say that for some reason it's just sounding very pissed off and angry again. And uh, I think maybe it's just a reflection of the world and the. And everything in general in this in this uh, so-called business, you know, I, I don't know why it's coming out like that, but it's coming out very, like I said, angry and pissed off and just very aggressive. Uh, what was the song uh, from Volume Eight, Piss and Vinegar? Might be time to throw that one back in the set list then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bring that one back out, but. Um, have have you done everything you wanted to do musically with Anthrax? Because you are a thrash band, and fans expect thrash albums. Would you ever want to sort of put out more like a Kiss sounding? I don't want to say melodic rock record because that that's sort of a silly term, but you know, just a a more rocky record rather than a more thrash record. Have you know? Is that something? You know, it's that's a, that's a good good question. Um, I I. I come to realize that even if we did have a real accessible tune like a really like i thought breathing lightning was a very very uh, accessible tune i i thought it was kind of radio-ish but i don't know if there's this stigma uh, uh, about oh these guys are just fucking you know this type of music blah 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 and i've, I've often had this uh issue with the bands that get played on the radio i always felt that it's kind of like a safe thing they they make these songs and uh it gets played on the radio and it's just kind of it's an easier way other than bands like 
it, this may come out wrong, but the bands that are not radio friendly almost have a bit of a, a bigger struggle to get heard and to gain an audience, you know? And I often felt that it's just very uh, one-sided. Um, and again, the way we started out, the same way Slayer started out, Megadeth started out, Metallica, you know, a, a record sold was a ticket sold. Um, everybody who bought our records came to the show. You know what I mean? It's just playing this radio game just gets kind of gets to you after a while. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why, why isn't our song being played on the radio? Are you saying it's not as good as this song by this shit band? You know what I mean? Or that band? Right. And it, it just bothers the shit out of me. Yeah, and and I also asked the question because I know you have a love for Kiss. And I know you have a love for Cheap Trick and and bands like that, and they're not thrash metal. So I always thought that maybe somewhere along the line, uh, the guys in Anthrax would say, hey, you know what, let's just make a good old-fashioned rock and roll album without blast beats and without, you know, all kinds of layers of, you know, just two guitars, drums, bass, let's go. And, of course, uh, yeah. Joe, and of course Joey has a great uh, love for Journey and stuff like that, so I thought... Huh, you know, just a rock record from Anthrax would just be so cool, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, there may be elements of that on this next record, too. You know, I, I like the variety um, and not just doing a one-dimensional type of record where I thought the last two records that we did, we were kind of opening it up a bit more, you know? Oh, yeah, I agree with that, De definitely. Um uh, Joey, of because course. Because there's no, is, is there a standard anymore? No, no, and, and in fact, that that's got to be somewhat um, of a great moment of freedom for a band like you. Because when you were in the '80s and MTV and and you know radio, this or, there must have been a mold. Now with accessibility through Spotify and YouTube and your sort of do-it-yourself kind of thing, you really can just make the album you want, right? To a certain degree, uh, I believe that we we do. Yeah, we we do have that freedom to because man, I don't. Do, is there any anything you know like an A and R person anymore um, who would come to the rehearsals and sit with you and listen to the songs and say, "Hey, I hear this. Hey, I hear that." You know. Man, it doesn't happen. We are our own A and R, you know. Yeah. We're we're we do everything. It's it's pretty much back to uh, you know do it yourself. Yeah, the the or the, the the good old days, the club days. Um, Joey Belladonna, uh, the original voice or or the voice that people sort of uh, grew up with, uh, came back, left, came back. How has that been for you to have Joey back? Because you, you had said in previous interviews back, you know, the 2005 reunion was done for the wrong reasons and didn't work out. But now when you listen to For All of Kings and worship music, you go, man, wow, great stuff. Glad to have him back. Um, what has he meant to you to have him back and, and be there and be part of the lineup? You know, it's throughout these years, I've, I've realized and I've, I think we've all kind of uh, matured in a way that we weren't maturing 
back in the day, I think we were kind of in this state of, well, we're going to do what we want to do and, and, you know, not think too much about the repercussions or things, you know? And I think we, we surrounded ourselves with people just, yeah, yeah, whatever you want to do. Yes. Yeah. And then I think once there was time for the smoke and the dust to just settle, started to rethink things. And um, I think the best decision that we ever made was getting, you know, our relationship with Joey back and just kind of repairing it and putting everything aside and just being on the same page again and just making you know, music again, that really means a lot to us. And I think that's a big thing. And all the insecurities and all the idiosyncrasies that, that and all the bullshit that goes with it, just fucking throw it out the window because it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it never really meant anything, but back in the day it meant more. Nowadays, that doesn't mean shit, Yeah, you know? And I just can't see how a band like like Anthrax can be insecure. I mean, you look at the Big Four tour. I mean, the Big Four tour wasn't you know Lover Boy and and uh, Honeymoon Suite. It was Anthrax and Metallica. I mean that that should tell you that you've you know carved out your place and and there's nothing to be insecure about. And when you go do your European tours or your tours, it's sellouts. So uh, it's 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 strange to think that you'd be insecure about the band and and. Uh, the musical direction, all that. Um, I'll ask you these these couple of questions. Uh, you you had done, of course, Stormtroopers of Death, and you no longer do that. Is there any interest to 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 have another sort of side band, if we want to call it that, or are you solely focused on I am the drummer in Anthrax, and that is the only thing I will do till death do us part? Well, Anthrax has always been my first first priority, and. You know, even when the other guys went and did their own thing, I always kind of kept the store open. Um, and I always just worked hard on doing, you know, whatever it was to keep the things afloat. So for me, it's always been priority one, uh, especially on the creative level, uh, whether it's a T-shirt that you see with a design or album cover design or the music it's always really important to me um i just look back at the days of the bands that i worshipped like kiss van halen and, and all that stuff and um every time that i would get the next release from them or anything like that it was always the right thing you know it was just ah this is it this is perfect you know what i mean right and Recently, I've been reading this book by uh, Noel Monk, who's Van Halen's original manager. Right. Yeah. And um, reliving those days of fuck how it used to be out on the road before we were all filming each other doing stupid shit and becoming politically correct and all this other stuff back in the days when it was just humans being humans and you know, living life in a certain way. And you don't do that anymore. Those days are gone. So I think I went off track here for a bit, but uh, no, no. doing like, I have so many songs that could be for two, like kind of solo records that 
maybe one day I'll get around to it. But right now I'm just kind of, now I'm in this vibe, kind of working on a, you know, the next record. Yeah. And I, and I can't wait to hear it. And, uh, I, I, we'll finish with this cause we're, we're at half an hour. Um, persistence of time. Uh, I have also heard that that is going to be given a, a deluxe treatment. Uh, same answer sort of for state of euphoria. Is that something that's also being considered? Yeah. Yeah. De- I definitely want to do the right thing for that record as well, because a lot of fans really love that record. Um, and I think it became that type of record of because of the things that happened to us before it, uh, it just became more of a dark type of record. And the, the weird things that happened after that, I, I think really uh, made the band change. Um, the times were changing. And I really think that was the last thrash metal record for us at that time. It was, and um, that's also the one where you, of course, uh, appeared on Mary with Children to to perform, um, what was that song? In My oh, yeah. World, I guess? <laughs> yeah. That must have just been a, a wild time, that whole that whole sort of 1990s for you. It must have a great time, but very much looking forward to, uh, to that being redone as a deluxe edition, very much looking forward to the next uh, new album, and... Uh, Hopefully, we will see Anthrax in uh, Montreal soon. I know you 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 came through not too long ago. I guess with uh, Slayer was it right? It was was Slayer came through. Um, uh, did we did we come there with? Uh, well, you came with Motorhead. Not oh, that's right. We didn't play there with Kill Switch. No, you did here with uh, Motorhead, and then I think you came back with Slayer. But it's certainly time uh, to have you back again. We, we always look forward to it. And, um, Charlie, just a great pleasure. Always, always, uh, always fun to have a chat. Yeah. Same here, dude. I'm uh, very happy that you, uh, now kind of branched out and bigger, better things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much, um, a great place to be on podcast. One part of the Jericho network It's just, it's just nice to have that, that avenue and that, that, that vehicle to, to get these interviews out. And, uh, Thank you, Charlie. Always a pleasure. All right, man. Take care, man. Yeah, we'll do this again soon. Bye-bye now. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Always good to hear from Charlie, and it's nice to know that we have not one, but two deluxe Anthrax editions to look forward to. And uh, let's finish this episode with Venom, because you cannot have an all-metal episode without Venom. Incorporated, by the way, Venom Inc. Um, and one of the nicest guys in the business. So without further ado, here is the one, the only, Tony Dolan. We are speaking with Venom Inc.'s Tony Dolan. Tony, um, a great pleasure. We've, we've spoken before. One of the better times, or not, that's not the proper way to say, but one of the times I remember the most is at Heavy Montreal back in, I guess it was 2015, right? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, and uh, yes. It, it was a great day, and it, it's really nice to talk to you again. Seems yeah. like forever now, doesn't it? It really does, and, and we, we've we've done an interview since then. But uh, but so much uh, exciting news. We've got a new album. We've got a new tour. Um, the uh, uh, what do we call it here? The Bloodstained Earth Tour is what we call it. Um, Bloodstained Earth Tour, yeah. Yeah. So let, let's. Uh, where do you want to start? On the tour or on the album? I 
guess I guess we should start with what comes first, and um, I guess it's the album, really. So right. you know, we kind of we kind of uh, got to uh, for last November, coming up for December, and um, we had had in place uh, John Cezula. Um, from the last American tour, when we got to uh, Orlando, um, I've been pumping Johnny Z for a long time to try and get involved and help us with some kind of management um, uh, because he was responsible, of course, Megaforce, Metallica, and, and also for bringing Venom over to the States the very first time. And we, we've been really old friends, but he kind of retired. Um, and uh, we played Orlando last year, and he sent somebody out to come and see us, and then a couple of days later, he Skyped me and said, okay, I'm in, I heard it's good, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, I don't know, just <laughs> managers, we're just doing loads of shows, maybe we should look for a label and maybe make an album, uh, and that's where our focus became. Yeah, he was in association with Chuck Billy, who's now our band manager, um, which is just, everything fits right, so we took off... Uh, December, January, and February to write and to uh, record a, a new album. Uh, we did four-track demo, uh, and we only sent it to one label, to Nuclear Blast, who basically got it uh, uh, in the morning, and by the afternoon, we'd agreed a contract, and that was it. It was done. So um, it's, it's just been amazing to be, to be straight onto Nuclear Blast with the album, and now to be so excited about its release, which is uh, down for the summer. Um, the label doesn't want to give the release date yet, but it's going to be coming out in the summer. And then um, uh, almost immediately afterwards, we'll be doing the Bloodstained Earth tour straight into North America, uh, where I think we've got like 30 dates. So, um, you know, America is going to be the first uh, place that gets the whole album full force uh, and live as well. And and for me, I think that was fitting. It's what I wanted to do because we've done three three tours now in the U.S. and uh, it's it's an amazing country with amazing people and amazing fans. And they've just been so warm to us. We've always been so welcomed, and they've really really supported us. And I think in a in a way as well, Mitch, I feel that you know. Um, Canada and, and America were kind of denied a lot of Venom shows in the past, and so I'm I'm kind of pushing us to make up for that. So I want to deliver as many songs as I can with a whole new set, songs that people thought they might never hear, and of course uh, deliver what I hope um, we feel, but I hope people think is a, a really good a really good album, something that actually is worthwhile, uh, and not just to make money, not just to, because we have to, just because we want to give something back. So, um, yeah, it's exciting times. It really is. Now, if you don't mind, let, let us talk about the album. It is called Ave. Yes. And, it, of course, it's coming out in uh, August. Now, the, uh, the exciting thing about the date it's co- that it's coming out on is that date in my history is the first time I ever saw Cheap Trick. So it's, you picked a oh, very... No way, yeah. yeah. You, you picked a great... That's significant. A great anniversary. So, but okay, <laughs> let, 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 I want to talk to... Brilliant, the, brilliant. It, it, yeah, I saw, I saw them on that day in 1980. So it, it's, uh, whatever, oh 37 years later, uh, we get new Venom. So, but, wow. But let me talk to you about this album because, you know, there was sort of this... Uh, and, and listen, it's for the lack of a better word the classic Venom, the early day Venom of, of Welcome to Hell, Black Metal, you know, all that stuff. But you yep. came in at Primeval, 1989. Yes. Yeah. So, so, Ave, is this sort of, we're looking back far, far in the history of, um, 
Venom and making something that that's you know right there with black metal and at war with Satan, or are we looking more at your era of primeval temples of ice and the wastelands in terms of sound? Well, I, think, uh, I mean, I think the thing is that you know, um, I mean, I actually, <clears throat> I actually came in. Just after come before the storm, so uh, like '88, and then we wrote and then we we had primeval ready for '89, uh, uh, and then put it out. So, you know, but but um, I'd just done a full tour when I joined uh, um, with Abaddon, who was you know part of the management team that took us out, um, and my association with the band goes back to pre the first single, and through the whole. You know, we were parallel, living in the same place. We all knew each other. We were kind of all friends. And and uh, my band was doing things. They were doing things. They just all of a sudden started releasing releasing music. And I thought that was a really positive thing. Also, I was a fan of it. So, you know, making the transition into the band was, for me, natural. You know, I didn't, I didn't consider I was doing anything other than just jumping in a, on a friend's band and playing music that was great and having some fun. Um, you know, so I, I guess it was naivety not thinking, you know, you're replacing somebody or anything else. I, I, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I don't really care about things like that. I think that, you know, it is what it is. Some people like coffee, some people like tea, you know, some people like both and some people don't like either. Right. So it's like, you know, uh, opinions are just opinions, you know. It's what do you want to do? You have to stay true to yourself. And, and I had a great time. And when we, when we started looking at the new album, the idea was, is, you know, I think Mantis got a bit sort of uh, concerned because he was writing so much stuff. I liked it. So I just said, just keep writing, just keep writing, and then we'll see what's there. Um, and that he was kind of thought he was losing his way. Uh, and he, was, he threw me a couple of songs, and he said, I don't know if these are good. I keep going over them. I mean, I don't know what to... You know, and he was looking for the magic key, and I said, "You don't have to, you don't have to plagiarize yourself. We don't have to plagiarize anything you've done. We don't have to try and be concurrent with a with one of the new bands. We don't have to do anything. All we need to do is exactly what we do live. We just have to be ourselves." So I said, "Write what we want to write, play how we want to play, and that is Venom. That is it." Uh, and that's what we did. And so I'm sure when people hear the album, you know, they may think, oh, that sounds like old Venom and that sounds like um, Dolan era and that sounds like newer, newer kind of metal or this sounds more traditional. I'm sure they'll find all of those things in there. But, but what they will find is that it's, it's honest, it's real, um, it's current. And we didn't write anything on purpose to sound like anything else. There are songs that kind of feel like something else, but, but we didn't do anything on purpose. We just composed, uh, uh, and the riffs that Mantis wrote were, were the riffs he wrote, and um, the lyrics that went over them are the lyrics that went over them. The theme, theme is Ave. Um, the title track, Ave Satanis, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a commentary on human nature, on us, on the, the the final end to everything, that we, we are the, the masters and the creators of the most amazing structures and, and place exploration and development in, in you know, health and, and all these amazing, amazing things we're capable of. And we're, at the same time, we're able to uh, uh, disseminate amongst ourselves, be dis the most destructive thing possible. And it, it, it intrigues me. You know, uh, um, 
that's the theme of the album, basically, is, you know, us, look, look into yourself, look into yourself, uh, and, uh, and see what, what, you know, the, if people are looking for God, maybe it's you, maybe you are your God, and maybe at the same time you are your Satan. Um, so know yourself, your good side and your bad side, and then you can make the choices, because life is about choices for the good and for the bad. Uh, and it always bemuses me. For example, we just had a bombing in Manchester where, where a man walked into a, an arena covered in explosives and triggered it off and killed a load of kids. Another man who was homeless was lying outside, and he went in and saved some of the kids. Now, they're both men on the same planet, and one man is going to kill those people, and the other one, who has nowhere to live, wants to save them. You see, what we're capable of in the same instant is something incredibly good and something incredibly bad. So I think when people look for reasonings behind things, we have to look to ourselves before we blame uh, uh, another entity for why we've done this thing. Uh, and so that's thematically what the album is. And I think that's indicative of what Venom's uh, cinematic uh, view was. Um, uh, you take Satan uh, or the devil or those dark uh, sides of things, but it's a commentary on man, you know. Don't burn the witch, you know, uh, in the name of Satan. You know, all of these things uh, in league with Satan, you know, they all speak of of a man um, obsessed by the darker side of himself, um, using using the dark ways, using sat satanic uh, uh, symbolism, of course. Um, so that's what we've done on the new album. We've we've gone back to that tradition because that identifies us and it identifies how we feel and what we want to say about uh, the nature of man. You know. Yeah, it really does. And, and as far as as Manchester, of course. Um, my sympathies go out to, to all the folks that, that, that were affected by that tragedy. And, uh, in fact, one of my Facebook friends uh, was uh, Ariana Grande's touring violinist. And, uh, oh, my goodness. We, we had a chance yeah. to, to discuss the whole thing, and I had taken my daughter to see her. Um, oh, really? Trying to think, like, in 2015 or 16. So, oh, so okay. yeah, it, that, that one certainly is... Is well, and they're all shocking, actually. But um, well, they are, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, Mitch. It's like you know, you think, um, you think what 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 um, <laughs> what would lead a, a guy to 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 be in a band, be a musician, and to want to tour the world and share it with other people, and what inspires people to want to go to a concert and and just have some fun and experience some music and make themselves happy, and then. At the same time, you have somebody walks into the Bataclan with a machine gun and just shoot a whole load of people they've never met before who yeah, are at a concert. You know, it's like, what? what is going on? It's, 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 it's beyond the realm of my understanding, unfortunately. Mind it's, you, it, yes. It's, it's, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's not, it's not how I would see the world in any way. Anyway, no, no. Let, let's get back to music, though, because that's, that's yeah. what we're here for, and... And whether it's Ariana Grande or Venom or Poison or Def Leppard, they all are there to bring joy to, to, to people. And, exactly. And um, I want to focus on that. Now, you, of course, uh, have been a member of two other bands or, or yep. that are still sort of going. Mm -hmm. Adam Craft, and you tell me yes. if I said it correctly. And no, that's Empire, right. Adam Craft, yeah. And Empire of Evil. Now, uh, are yep. those both done? Are those just on hiatus? Are those, I mean, what is the status? Well, you know the whole the, the, the two the two prong reason of to have Venom Inc. One is to was to uh, uh, call ourselves Venom 
uh, incorporated iron and steel, and then the iron and steel got dropped by fans and everybody else, I guess. Uh, um, we didn't direct that, and then so we left with Venom Incorporated, which obviously now is Venom Inc. The reason it was incorporated um, was to, you know, to allow us to still do Empire of Evil or Mantis do his drill project or Abaddon do his Abaddon project and me do Atomcraft atom things if I, if I wanted to do them. So it was incorporating everything that we do. Um, not least distinguishing ourselves between uh, a Cronus' solo thing. But, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't laid it all to rest. I mean, I've got a show with Atomcraft in October. Um, I'm still being asked to record new stuff and release old stuff. And then uh, myself and Mantis, we were in a situation just before Abaddon came back in where we actually had the new Empire album ready to have the the final bass and vocals put on where we because we tend to have a system how we work and then i would go to jeff and we'd sit and just go through the final touches with the vocals and lyric lyricing it and then that with it he would uh, master it and mix it and produce it and we'd be ready to go and then abaddon stepped in and we started doing this and now we haven't stopped actually so it's uh, they're they're on hiatus, but only until we can find some time. But myself and Mantis chatted, and as soon as we find a, a gap that we know we've got uh, um, in the schedule, where I'm going to go over to Portugal, where he lives, where he has an old his own digital studio, and we're gonna we're gonna complete the Empire album because you know the songs are really good. We were really happy with them, and they've kind of been on pause for a, for the last almost three years now. Yeah, three years, so yeah. it. Yeah, it's, which has gone so quick, but everything's happening so fast, so I guess... Uh, well, I was going to say, that that's sort of the fascinating story about Venom, Inc., because, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's I, I keep thinking of that movie, Accidental Tourist. Like, you sort of came backed into Venom, Inc., almost by haphazard or serendipity. Absolutely. Um, so, so talk to me about how this sort of just... It just sort of happened, and I know the word is organically, but that sounds so flower power. But I know, I know, but you're <laughs> right. It, it, it was a kind of happy accident. I mean, right. you know, I, I, basically, I'd been asked to do a show and play the first Atomcraft album, and normally I get asked all the time to do Atomcraft things, but, I, you know, I never I never take them up because it's like, uh, it doesn't doesn't always get get to me that I want to do it. But I was asked to play this one show, and, I, and they said, you know, play all of Future Warriors. And I thought, man, I've never, ever done that. So I listened to it and thought, wow, that, that might be just fun. Not um, for any other reason, not financially or not for, for anything other than just enjoying to play it. So, um, you know, Mantis was there. Jeff was still living in Newcastle at the time. So I was up there and uh, went into rehearsals. He came down, obviously. And then um, he said, oh, I always like this song. I said, well, get a guitar on and then join me. And I said, and so he did. And what we, when we did the show, he got on stage and did a couple of songs with us to close the show. And people went nuts and really enjoyed it. And uh, a week later, I got a message from a guy called Oliver Weishammer from Germany who uh, does a festival called Keep It True. And he said, look, you know, it was a great show. I was there. It was cool to hear Future Warriors all the way through. I, I never thought I'd ever get to hear that live. And you got Mantis up. How amazing was that? I said, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, no, we had a great fun. And he said, did you know Abaddon was in the audience? And I said, well, no, I didn't know that. Uh, and he said, wow, I was thinking, if you'd got Abaddon up on stage, 
wouldn't that be amazing? You guys could have played some Venom material. And I just laughed and said, yeah, like that's never going to happen. And he said, well, actually, if I booked you as Empire to come and play my festival, keep it true, and Abaddon just happened to be there, what's the chances you could get up and he could play a couple of songs for the fans? And I said, well, <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't think that could ever happen. You know, the guys, there's a balance, I don't know. Anyway, he said, well, you know, see if you could make it happen, you know, because if anybody can make it happen, you could. I said, oh, well, I could give it a go, but I can't promise anything. Anyway, I called uh, Jeff straight away and said, well, what do you think if we did this, keep it true, blah, blah, blah. Abaddon, on state, no. He just said, no, that was it. So then I, I contacted Abaddon, and he said, yeah, sure, I'm up for it. So then I went back to Jeff, and then I just we chatted, and it was like, you know, this is 2,000 fans. It doesn't mean anything more than we're just going to go play five, six songs, just have some fun. Uh, we still play as Empire, and then that's it. It's done. Um, just because the guy would really like a retro festival, just to have some fun. We agreed. We all went down there, and we went on stage and played, and the place went nuts. And the response was so fantastic that the next morning when I got up, um, you know, my, my, my phone, emails, messages, uh, we were being offered. Someone had put up some video uh, um, from the show and people thought, wow, they're, they're touring. Oh, my God. So they started offering us shows. So I actually went back to the boys and said, look, you know, I know this is crazy, but we're being offered uh, management agents, the tours, shows. What should we do? So we thought, eh. Well, let's just say yes and see what happens. And that's what we did. So we didn't plan it. We haven't planned anything. And we still haven't planned anything. Uh, um, and, and here we are. sitting in. I'm sitting in Los Angeles in an office at Nuclear Blast with our album about to go out. And we've got a, a world tour ahead of us. Uh, we've got September. We've got North America. Um, um, we followed that with Europe with uh, your dates. I've just had the South American dates being confirmed to me. We've got Japan after that, Australia. Um, I mean, it's it's just quite incredible. And, and like I say, we never sat down and thought, you know what we should do? You know what would be clever? You know what we should? Nothing. We've just said yes, and we're just going with it. And it, it, it's quite humbling and quite amazing at the same time. I do want to ask you two things uh, about the name, but I also want to ask you about, I see on the tour dates that are that are posted, uh, October 3rd and October 4th, it yeah. says Special Venom Inc. Bash. Doesn't say where, doesn't say no. who, doesn't say what. Um, no. What can we reveal at this point in, you know, late June of 2017? Well, pre-tour, pre-tour, we can't say anything. Um, um, because um, there, there's a reason. Once we once we've actually started the tour, we're going to announce. So so very soon after we begin, so people, you know, because the tour is going to go over a month, so people are still going to have plenty of time to know what it is. But um, it's kind of uh, John Cezula. Uh, and took, they're working on something quite special okay. um, for those two days. And, uh, and uh, so we'll announce it as fast as we can, but uh, uh, we're forced to wait until we've actually begun the tour. Uh, but okay. it'll be okay. very exciting. Fair enough. Fun. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. No, 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 no. Fair enough. It's, we we like surprises. So with us. It's so wrong. <laughs> I know. We, we like surprises. September 4th, though, you are in uh, Montreal at Le Fufun Electrique, so I will uh, uh, make sure to get out to that. But... Um, Brilliant. You'll be guested, of course. You're always our guest. Absolutely. Thank you. And and it's 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 always great fun. I have to say. Um, uh, you know that. By the, just off, sort of off topic here. You know, when you think of a band like Venom, 
ink or venom yep. or just that whole scene, you always, I don't want to say always, uh, th- there is this perception out there that the heavy metal guys are these horrible brutes and, you know, sour faces and, <coughs> and, yeah. and, and the guys in Venom Inc., which I've met, you know, we've, we've met and we've talked, yeah. You you couldn't be any nicer, and it just sort of it it shatters the image. And but you know what? Uh, it, it's 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 just it, it's just a testament to the fact that you can deliver the music, and you can still be you know. And anyway, I just I just thought I'd throw that out there because I know I know I, what you mean. I know what you mean. But can I just say, you know, yeah. the thing is that uh, uh, it, it's not to distract from what we do. I mean, if if someone wanted to get all pissy with us, you know, we. They'd find out pretty quickly that that you know who who we are too, you know. But it, it's very easy to be a prick and to be to be off with people. Uh, and who does that serve? It makes you feel like you're a rock star or you're special or something. But it's very easy just to be humble and, and nice to people as well. Yep. And I think that uh, you know we we share the same environment and. Who who are we going to be pricks to? Our fans? Well, they don't deserve it. They're investing in us, and and we're we're, we're theirs really. So so that they they're not the people. And who else are we going to be doing that to? What a record label or the industry? You know yourself. Uh, you know someone who does radio or, or does a magazine. It's like well, hang on. That's you know that's that without use how do we get any messages across so it's important so i yeah. i think if we if you narrow the field down and who who you would be a dickhead to you know there isn't anybody you should be a dickhead to so if you're a dickhead it's because you're a dickhead not because they you yeah. know not because they're bad and so we pride ourselves on just being three guys from a, a, a an industrial town in the north of england and being the same people we were then uh, we are when we're at home and we are when we're out. And what we like to do is we like to have a war on stage. That's where we leave our business and hopefully that translates. Yeah, and, and I do have to say, mm-hmm. I do agree with you that, that this is sort of, the music business should be a circle where, you know, I do the interview, you do the show, you know, you help me, we get it to the fans, the fans buy the magazine or they buy the ticket to the sh- And we're all in this together and sometimes... All of us, yeah. Sometimes exactly. it breaks down. Sometimes fans are way too demanding, and they think everything is owed to them. You have to play my set list, and you have to give me the album that I want. And it's like, well, no, yeah. wait a minute. And sometimes bands yeah. are dicks, and you're like, well, dude, you're playing for I know. you know, you're playing for 500 people tonight. It's not fucking Wembley Stadium, so calm yourself. And sometimes reporters <laughs> yeah, exactly. are dicks, you know. So uh, we we have to forget all that stuff and just it's a circle and it's like you know the earth 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 rain cycle, right? It all <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, that, no, that's it. That's it. It's hand in hand, and it is a circle. And and you know, um, um, anything artistic, you know, and uh, sometimes. Even magazines forget that they are the artistic extension. You know, I'm sitting here at Nuclear Blast looking through a glass window and there's several people working at computers. Uh, You know, this isn't like a normal job and everything they're doing is contributing to the greater. So at the end of the day, who's going to get a Golden Gods Award? Maybe maybe Dave Mustaine, but there's a whole... It's a whole team, a machine behind him, including the press, who are all contributing to that, contributing to that image, contributing to that help, and and it's all part, you know, with, without one of the cogs, 
it fails. The card doesn't go. You need all yep. the bits. Oh, I, I, I fully agree. So, so now that we're, we're sort of talking a little bit about business, let me ask you about the name Venom Inc. Because yeah. there is band and then there is brand. A- and yeah. the Venom brand is revered it's it's it you know it's cult-like status people know it they they know what it means it's sort of like motorhead or megadeth you know what you're getting and how important is it to be associated to that brand name and and do you think had you been called something else you know the twinkle toe whatever do you think that people would have the same interest same songs same band members different name do you think that is there an importance in brand well, I think there is. I mean, the, you know, obviously, when we were going out as uh, as uh, Empire, um, you know, promoters were were putting up X Venom, but they were putting up the logos and stuff. And um, we got a message through from you know Conrad saying, you know, Kronos going, you know, and we said, well, we're not using it. It's not, uh, you know. So we told the promoters, don't don't put that up. You can say X Venom if you want, but don't you don't have to put that up. But they were like, well, we'll do what we want, and we've got to sell the show, and if that means putting up that recognized logo to sell the show, that's what we'll do. So it was like, okay, well, that's up to you. And kind of the same thing when we started this, you know. Um, um, we went with Iron and Steel, and um, our agent was going, no, 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 we've got to, you've got to find a way to tie it into Venom, because that's basically what you are. And I was like, well, uh, you know, I don't want it to get complicated, and I don't, we don't want it to get confused. And me and Jeff were like, well, let's just stick with what we did. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing, so I was like, okay, well, we can use the original logo, so we could call it Venom Incorporated, meaning it incorporates all of our stuff, which means then we can use it. It's a recognized thing. It doesn't say that we're this. It says we're that. Uh, it distinguishes between the two uh, um, um, entities, two, two outfits, right. because one is using the, the, the newer redesigned logo, one's using the old one, one says Incorporated or Ink, and the other one doesn't and it's obviously who who is who and the fans aren't stupid so they you know they're going to see it so that was kind of why we did it so in a way it's like you know all of the labels all of the agents all wanted us to have something a recognized brand because they said you deserve to have it you should have it uh, and we want you to have it and and so kind of we did you know uh, and i think the confusion initially was a bit like why would you do that and and now it's become its own machine and so now nobody really gives a shit you know no i, um, I don't i don't give a shit uh, but but it does lend itself to to the success though i mean being called it helps it helps. helps yeah and and actually i mean i had uh, uh, one of the head of labels in europe who'd seen one of our festival shows uh, when I came out, he went genius, and I said, "What the show? Oh, you liked it?" And he went, "No, no, what you've done." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "The name." And I said, "Right." And he said, "And I said, why? What was wrong with it? Uh, Empire of Evil, by the way? Um, wasn't that a good one?" He said, "Not as marketable, but doing this marketable." So I was like, "Oh, okay." But again, like we just said before, Mitch, it wasn't like wasn't kind of planned it was kind of thrust on us and it's just evolved into now oh, yeah that's what it's in the, the accidental okay. tour you're i mean that this whole band you, you completely started, yeah you backed into it and and, <laughs> and and by the way good for you because it is so hard sometimes to get a project off the ground and anything that gets that that foot in the door or that little extra inch towards the goal line well hey why not why not um no exactly um, now they told I think, us, I, think uh, I think that's exactly you know it's passing the uh, sometimes you sometimes you pass the puck 
uh, to, you know, and he shoots and scores. And sometimes you're just uh, jamming with the puck and passing it back and forward, and it ricochets off off the wall, and and bang, it goes straight into the net. You know, and it's kind of like that's what we've been doing. We were just passing around the ice and skating and having some fun, and now all of a sudden we just scored a goal. That's yeah. what it feels like. And 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 by the way, could, like like I said before, it couldn't happen to three nicer people, honestly. Um, now well, they told thank us you so much, man. Uh, and that's sincere, by the way. I'm not just uh, it's not interview no, talk. Um, now, now they told us 15 to 20 minutes, and we're at half an hour. But I do want to ask you one last. Oh, thing. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll okay. ask you one last thing before they yell at both of us. But um, the album Primeval. Now, yes. This was, uh, let me hear, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, it's the seventh album in. Uh, you're coming into an established band and brand uh, yeah. with a new voice and a new energy. and a new th- What was that like for you stepping into that? Because you did have Adam Craft, you did have your own thing going. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're sort of like Sammy Hager of the, <laughs> of, yeah. of the heavy metal world, right? Um, yeah, yeah. What was that album like for you? What was the experience going in? Where you're like, I got this. This is easy. Or you're like, oh shit, what did I do now? I mean, you know. To be fair, to be fair, it was really easy. I just okay. come off a tour. I just come off a tour, and then I got a call to go meet him in a pub, and then I went down there. Uh, I met uh, Abaddon and the, the manager then, who's now, now passed away sadly, Eric Cook, um, and they told me the story that they had a record deal. That uh, Cronus had decided to go solo and move back, move to America with the two guitarists. So they needed uh, someone to do bass vocals. You know, I thought they were asking me to think of somebody, uh, but they were actually asking me, uh, uh, which obviously dawned on me eventually. It was like, oh, you want me? Uh, but for me, it was like, you know, it was simple. I remember them saying, well, you know, it, we could think of many people. We could probably get people, but we need someone who understands the band, knows who we are, knows where we're going and how, how we're going. And, you know, my association with them as a, as a friend, as an associate, as a, as a fan, um, stretched way back. So, and, you know, I just accepted joining another friend's band's band and uh, playing and singing. I didn't even consider, and maybe that was naivety, or maybe I just didn't think or I didn't care, you know, because I'm quite like, if I want to do something, I just do it. I don't really bother myself with the whys and wherefores. I just go with my instinct. So for me, it was like nothing but fun. Uh, you know, I said to Abin at the time that on one condition, I'll say yes, isn't that, is that Jeff has to come back? Because I said, you know, without, without Jeff for me, it's not, it's not Venom. Um, Jeff came back and, and that was it, you know, and, and doing the album was, was amazing. And, and the response when we released it was amazing. The label loved it, the press all loved it, and, and we went out and toured it and the fans seemed to love it. And it, it was like we'd kind of gone back to a more punky route. And it was different, but it was Venom as well. And, um, yeah, it was. And, and, and do, you, do you look back at it with a lot of pride? I mean, is that like... One of the shining moments of your career, and you, you know, you've done. I think movies. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think absolutely. I think you know, uh, the first album I ever made, I was kind of disappointed in because I'd been waiting so long to make one. But I was very proud of what we did, um, and I was only disappointed in hindsight because I thought with better production, or if we'd done this, or if we'd done that. But I was very proud of it. But the next moment uh, was being able to 
do the album with uh, uh, with Jeff in particular. You know, Tony too. Uh, I put on two, but but particularly with Jeff. So to be able to do an album, you know, it was great. It was just a standout moment, you know. And this several, you will always have some standout moments of your life, and but that was definitely a really high flag moment for me. And I look back in it and think we did a really good job, and we had fun, and we were ourselves. And we were genuine. There was no point that we went in and thought, let's try and make black metal again. Let's try and make Welcome to Hell or Possessed or what was said. No, let's try and be this or that. We just were ourselves. And when what surprised the three of us now is coming back to now and playing live now and recording a new album now. It feels just like it always did. You know, it's not like we had to relearn how to get on, relearn how to play with each other. It's just like we never stopped. So it feels totally, totally right. And, and of course, that that's what leads us to today and Ave, because had that album not been good and the fans not been excited, they wouldn't care now. And so, it, it's again, we're back to the whole full circle thing. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, the tour is Blood-Stained Earth Tour. I could ask you another 100 questions, but they said 15 minutes. We, we've now almost tripled it. I know. We've almost tripled it, and I'm sure you're probably <laughs> yeah, we'll, missing oh, other calls. We stuck a few here, and we stuck a few there. We'll get wrong, but who cares? Who cares? We did it anyway. Yeah, uh, the tour starts September 1st, Philadelphia at The Voltage, and, of course, in New York, Boston, Montreal, Toronto, and all kinds of places in between. Uh, yeah. There you go. And uh, very much looking uh, forward brilliant. to the Montreal date. Thank you, Tony. Always well, a pleasure. Well, we, we look, look forward to seeing you there. Um, uh, to everybody listening, please come. I promise you a great night. Uh, it'll be a new set with a new album, new merch, but we'll be playing some new stuff. And Mitch, you will definitely be our guest as, as forever, and we can, we can fill in any gaps that you missed out now and, and answer the rest of one. But it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, yeah, we'll see, you. we'll see you in a couple of months. Definitely. Okay. Cheers. Now you be safe and, you. And, and be careful. You too. Okay, best to everyone. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue, repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.